Well, uh, boys, it's finally happened. He's dead. And I'm talking about a figure who, you know, that entire portion. I mean, okay, let's just call it the left, the crank left, the, uh, you know, the the anti-war, anti-American empire, the the America never does anything right left. It has just been waiting for this man to die as kind of an avatar of the evil of American empire. Not because he's, you know, so especially responsible compared to, you know, so many other figures on the whole system itself, but because after his retirement and up until the present moment, despite the enormous crimes and what an, uh, what a dull shithead he was, he's been uh, just taken in bipartisanly and by a lot of the world, too, as this as a commanding figure to be praised and feasted and feted. And now he's dead and we get to celebrate. That's right. I'm talking about Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, Greg, you did have me furiously typing into Google, is Tom Hanks alive or dead? Uh, <laughs> that's what I was going. Welcome well, back. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go you ahead. do it. No, you do it. God damn it. You do it. <laughs> All right. <Whoa>. Welcome back. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> <laughs> we do one Thanksgiving episode and everything's gone to shit. We used all of our professionalism on the Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yes, that's. Yes, it's gone, man. I'm right. I'm I'm here in the morning. Like, why are we even doing this? We still have a. I still have to cut that <laughs> Patreon episode. Oh my god, <laughs> uh, we got so much to do. All right, welcome back to Mechanical Freak, where we're freaking in the evening, freaking in the morning, freaking at supper time. Uh, Munya, how are you doing in New York? Um, doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, you know, been going to a few uh, classical concerts. You know, uh, hitting up uh, what New York has to offer. And uh, that's culture. So, you know, putting on my nice suit and uh, listening to some good uh, classical jams. Just eating his breakfast sandwich, only available in New York. Uh, Greg, how you doing out on the boat? Oh, man. You know, I'm always doing good. Well, of course, we jested earlier on in the intro. But yes, Henry Kissinger has finally died at the ripe old age of 100. Uh, any thoughts? Um... Listen, uh, sure, I have thoughts, but on the other hand, I think you got to let people enjoy this one. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I them. feel, too. I tweeted a while ago that his death that was so hyped up that everyone was like espousing was going to flop. But I don't want to be that guy. And the reason why I said it was going to flop is because, you know, he outlived so many people. He did the he did the he deeds and he so died <laughs> and, he, and yeah and he Murderers murdered so many people victims. and yeah he outlived so many you know people and victims and ultimately he gets to die in peace you know and um I don't see how that's like 
really a win per se (laughs) but like you know he is a symbol of the evil empire and i understand why you know uh it's still fun but you know the juice that we had um we just being the collective like you know crank left um when the queen died versus this i gotta say i think i think the queen was like a funnier uh funnier moment when uh just the memes pure meme worthy um Mm -hmm. i don't know it's just like if you die when you're 100 after achieving all of your goals like i don't know (laughs) yeah when you know with the queen dying it's with henry kissinger dying like he's already been replaced like he dropped his Mm -hmm. rifle fucking decades ago and it's already been picked up by you know a dozen more like him. Look at that. That who's that shithead? That national security spokesman. Like you know, like just there's a million of those little shitheads, um, ready to just like you know push the empire yeah. forward. When when Lizzie died, what's part of what's funny about it is like she is actually a singular figure as a monarch and is being replaced by like a universally loathed shithead. You know. Um, so there's there is like even the <laughs> yeah. smallest bit of victory there, you know, like so. And, and because the queen was still in her post, like she still had a position of power that I think, to, at least from the outside, Britain still invested heavily in and didn't really seem to like try to plan a contingency plan of like a transitionary period. So like when she died it seemed like the death was like reverberated and felt throughout almost like what is even the path after this. It was almost like a shock that this like very old lady, um, you know, passed away. Right. Which I think was also like a part of the oafishness of um, the queen dying is that she was just seemed like she was so heavily levered in the public imagination and, you know, influence like even like regular people were like, I feel like I lost a mother because uh, the queen uh, (laughs) was just so much a part of like everyday, like, you know, British life. And that's how they organized the country. And it seemed like they never thought to maybe try to transition that uh, influence and uh, to maybe someone else who would outlive her and, so the collective yeah. trauma of this old lady dying uh, is is just really funny. Yeah, those are the true American perverts who actually give a shit about the British royal family. <laughs> Who's more perverted? I mean, those guys are the ones who are out there, like, you know, defending uh, Henry Kissinger in the New York Times. Oh, I know for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. One notable thing about Kissinger is he did live to 100 and it does, you know, uh jive with a, a theory that we've talked about you know quite a bit particularly during covid which is uh when you're rich uh you will live forever at this point like uh because kissinger has looked like shit for at least 40 years like just total dog oh shit. yeah like if he were a working class guy he would have been dead at like 62 but <laughs> but you know when you're rich it is like 40 extra years you get <laughs> minimum mm-hmm <laughs> Well, speaking of the living dead, uh, guys, Joe Biden, our president, uh, we were alerted last week that he had achieved the greatest foreign policy win 
of maybe the last thousand, two thousand years, five thousand years even. Not since the aliens uh, made that deal to build the pyramids uh, was there a more, <laughs> <laughs> which he was he was there for, but he just cast a supporting vote. But <laughs> yeah. he voted present. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, but we were alerted on Twitter by all the usual nerds that Joe Biden had single-handedly orchestrated a ceasefire to bring the Israel-Gaza uh, conflict, I guess is what we're calling it politely, or ethnic cleansing more accurately, to an end. Uh, and so wouldn't, wouldn't you know it, my surprise this morning when I woke up to hear that Israel is now carpet bombing Khan Yunus in the south of Gaza and has demanded the evacuation of Khan Yunus, obviously for residents never to return, uh, as well as I heard on the radio that they might have even uh, told the people of Rafa to evacuate as well. Uh, again, uh, obviously never to return. Um, so, yeah, how's, how, how's that sitting today? Uh, it's sitting like uh, Biden is going to win a second term, eventually lived to be a hundred and uh the same shithead libs will be talking about what a great guy he was in 20 years when he dies and uh that's the world we live in and the you know and this will have been perpetrated you know the world's gonna get angry gonna keep getting angrier um the protests are never gonna stop and that's you know but um there, if if they haven't if if they haven't stopped now, you know, with the amount of protest, um, if the momentum wasn't really ultimately broken by this week of you know reduction in the violence, of course they were still killing people, but um, they weren't doing the carpet bombing for a week. If they've now escalated after that, then there is no loss of momentum. They're they're making that very clear. So like. They're going to they're going to succeed. And, uh, you know, the next Democratic president and even Biden, when this is all over, when when Netanyahu is out, you know, once this all is done, Netanyahu will get to take the blame for all this in Israel and in America. And Biden will be like, oh, what a shithead Netanyahu was. But we can, like, work to make a new arrangement with the new good Israeli government. You know, Um, they're all Mm going to get away with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, you know, a couple of things worth pointing out. I mean, I, I think this does show that Israel intends to annex more than just northern Gaza. I think, you know, we had said in our earlier show that that would seem to be a given that they're annexing northern Gaza. Uh, it does appear that they are as one Israeli official put it, doing Gaza Nakba 2023, as he said repeatedly over and over again on TV, even though in, in the U.S. press, you're not allowed to acknowledge that's what's happening. But, you know, Israeli officials say it publicly all the time. Uh, it does appear that they intend to ethnically cleanse the entirety of Gaza as they've now moved into the south. Uh, that that wily uh, Hamas headquarters, it just keeps changing locations to wherever Israel feels like bombing that day, uh, you know. It's crazy they can just pick that thing up and teleport it to wherever Israel wants to drop a thousand pound bomb. But I think it's also worth noting 
that, as you mentioned, Greg, uh, this the so-called ceasefire, which I don't think anybody in the U.S. government ever called it that. Their term or turn of phrase Not was the humanitarian Executive laws. branch, yeah. Just to <laughs> yeah, make clear, I, you know, yeah, it was always about yeah. making clear this was never, you know, this was never about something that was meant to go on, was yeah. meant to extend. You know, that was always, that was why the insane humanitarian pause language was important to them from the beginning, from like week one was so that if anything like this did develop uh, under pressure, it it implies like you can still claim success for it because its terms were never more than that, a humanitarian pause. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, we got <laughs> some food and water in for a pause, something that's, you know, meant to be ended. It was like halftime and they passed the oranges around the little kids or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But... uh but yeah, so I mean, during this, you know, quote unquote humanitarian pause, uh, there was plenty of reports of Israeli snipers shooting people within Gaza, Israeli uh, drone snipers shooting people outside Gaza hospitals. Uh, Israelis love shooting people in hospitals. But I think one of the like more insane aspects of it has to do with the sort of the release of hostages. Now, again, it's very funny that in the U.S. press, Nobody ever thinks to ask why the Israelis have so many Palestinians to release. So the original deal was a three to one, uh, you know, prisoner exchange. And, you know, if Hamas is this evil terrorist organization who takes all these hostages, it is uh, interesting that nobody's ever curious why the Israelis have so many more hostages to give in return. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, yeah, it's typical. It's predictable that media is not like using that as a an obvious line of questioning but like it's easy for them to play ignorant because it's built into the narrative i mean Mm -hmm. in this country we have like you know close to one percent of our population behind bars at any time so like the idea that there would be an endless like criminal class to americans who uh, might be looking for release and you add into that the narrative that Americans have of the uh, of the occupation of what Israel and Palestine is, you know, that it's this long, like simmering terrorist uh, operation against the uh, people of Israel, against the state of Israel by the Palestinian people. It's like, well, yeah, it makes sense. They'd have a lot of uh, terrorists, you know behind bars like you you, by just not asking the propaganda writes itself in the minds of americans who've been for decades uh sort of programmed with this like insane racist narrative of uh yeah you know the of of violence against the state of israel you know And, and it's worth mentioning for people who maybe don't know uh gazans and israel are not considered i mean human honestly but are certainly not considered civilians in any way, as the Israeli officials have said over and over and over again uh, during this ethnic cleansing. Uh, And Gazans uh, and Palestinians in general in Israel are not subject to the normal sort of criminal and civil courts of Israeli law. But actually, when they get picked up and kidnapped, which is the more accurate way to describe what happens to Palestinians, uh, they are subject to military tribunals uh, that have a 99% conviction rate. Uh, but even then, the Israelis are not so convinced that that's good enough. 
And so most of them actually just never get tried. And there's thousands of these prisoners just held in captivity. It's hard to know how many their names or anything like that, because it's all pretty cloaked in secrecy. But uh, that is what we're talking about. We talk about prisoner releases from Israel, and Israel tells you about the terrorists that they have in jail. That's what they're actually talking about. Yeah, and it's by design too, right? Like the not having a trial or not going through the same judicial system, like that's baked into like the apartheid law uh, yeah. of Israel as well. Yeah, all apartheid states do this, right? With their, you know, uh, subjected populations. I mean, you know, you know, so, you know uh, when you're in trial in these criminal or in these uh, military tribunals, you're not allowed to see the evidence presented against you. You're not allowed legal counsel, right? The whole thing is a joke, you know? Uh, again, with American history, we could draw similar comparisons to American apartheid when blacks were not allowed to testify in court or not allowed to call witnesses in court, you know, um, and we're and we're lynched without trial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or even <laughs> credible accusation often. Yeah, because in apartheid states, even the, the w- overweighted court system that you know gives 100 percent conviction rates is not enough. Right. That's not enough to satiate the you know the people who are running it right and in israel again a 99 percent conviction rate isn't enough so most are just held without trial entirely um of course you can guess what happens in these prisons uh there was a report that i that the torture has increased to such an amount that they've killed seven or eight prisoners beaten them to death uh since october 7th uh palestinian prisoners so you know, I mean, like I said, you can imagine what widespread happens in these sexual black assault sites. as well. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just like yeah. sati- <laughs> about satiating the sort of bloodlust uh, of the settler population, which of course it is, but like it's, you know, you're talking about a level of violence that is genuinely needed to maintain a <clears throat> expanding settler colonial project and an apartheid regime, you know? It is it is a necessary function of that kind of project. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to give an idea of just the kind of grotesqueness of all of this, uh, is reported that Israeli security forces, uh, when buses of Palestinian prisoners were being, you know, sent out as part of this hostage exchange, Israeli security forces fired tear gas at the buses <laughs> of the prisoners they just released, um, just to give them... One last, you know, hurrah out the door. One last punishment out the door. Uh, The Israeli side has unilaterally declared that part of the agreement is that no Palestinians are allowed to celebrate the release of their family members and friends. (laughs) Uh, If they celebrate uh, the release, they can be put back into prison. Uh, In one case, a, a Palestinian teenager was murdered for celebrating the release. It was unclear if the teenager had been released or if uh, they were just a family member of a person who was released. Uh, But for celebrating too much, uh, again, the deputy mayor of Jerusalem uh, helpfully uh, elucidated this uh, in an interview on TV, basically saying that uh, celebration is not allowed. (laughs) And Israeli security forces consider that a breach of the uh, ceasefire. uh, Any sort of, I mean, this is grotesque, right? I mean, this is just... I don't know what to even say about most of this. I mean, it's just fucking horrifying. It is. Um, I mean, it's what we've said from the beginning. Like, this is going to be one of the worst, like, crimes of the century. And it's going to 
unleash and unveil like the truth of what Israel is. And, you know, I just keep coming back to how little it's going to matter, you know, like they are getting away with it. It is happening. And that's the real like, you know, it's like so many things. I mean, like the confrontation with one's own impotence in as a these as a citizen of a nominally, you know, democratic society um, is fucking palpable. And I think, um, you know, that was true in 2020 with uh, the uprisings. Um, And it's true about this. Uh, People are out in the street again, you know, Um, and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are, are getting confronted with that. The fact that like it, it is impossible that they live in anything resembling a democracy. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't, again, like, I don't mean to even say that's a silver lining or anything. It's just a reality. Like there is no upside to any of this. Um, I, I, I'm just, yeah, I, it's good to be out at the protests. It's good to stand with people, uh, in solidarity to see that other people who want this to end, you know, are in your community. Um, it's just, uh, it's an inevitable response to this level of violence, you know, like that people are not going to be okay with it. Um, but what's not inevitable is that it will have any effect. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's, worth remembering as uh you're sort of gaslit and berated uh by liberals that not only uh, does this mean that you should su- <laughs> not only does all the things that we've talked about at this point mean you should support democrats harder but uh that you should be happy to do so or whatever i don't think you should be happy to do anything god <laughs> you know quite frankly but uh, yeah. just to throw one more grotesquery on top just because it's worth reporting uh al jazeera's reported that israel uh, during this humanitarian pause and the largest quotations possible, uh, Israel has kidnapped as many Palestinians as they've released. So, uh, wow. they've, they've also oh made God. promises that, you know, w- that, you know, release prisoners that they leave their house, that they'll arrest them again. So I think we, I think pretty much everybody assumes all the released Palestinians are just going to be kidnapped again and thrown right back in prison. Um, and Israel will have more Palestinian hostages probably when this whole thing is said and done. Uh, just, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know. So (laughs) on that note, in our Thanksgiving episode extravaganza, which all of you should go listen to immediately if you haven't already, or if you started listening to it on Thanksgiving, you're probably approaching the end of it now. We had an interview with friend of the show, uh, Carl Nelson, who visited the West Bank, uh, in Palestine, and he told us a lot of uh, about actual life in an occupied territory and what it's like, what the daily life is like. And uh, we thought it su- uh, sufficiently important that we wanted to make sure everybody got to listen to it. And so we are tagging it onto the end of the episode right here. And so without further ado, we will kick it to our interview with Carl. Welcome, Carl. Hey, guys. Uh, Carl, you were recently actually in Palestine. You met the people. You 
saw Israel in the West Bank. Indeed, you were there on October 7th in the country. And that's exactly why, you know, we've invited you here to talk with us and the freaks about, yeah, the the things you saw and experienced, the people you met. And and thanks for coming. Uh, Yeah, thank you. And yeah, I guess the first question is, how did you find yourself in Palestine? And meaning, like, how long have you wanted to see this? Like, what what was your motivation to to do this? And yeah, uh, how did you find yourself standing yeah. in the West Bank? Huh. Yeah, that's a good question because um, I was trying to think of where the idea, you know, came to me. Because I think, you know, is it like a high schooler or stuff? You'd read Chomsky books, and he regularly mentions uh, the, you know. Uh, Palestinians, specifically how every United Nations vote is two versus everyone else and the two mm-hmm. being United States and Israel. Um, and so I had some, some vague idea of that. And then I remember, I remember, I know when like Anthony Bourdain died, the people in Palestine were, you know, expressed this enormous, uh, they grief or just, you know, were appreciative of him for some reason. I went back and watched it. Like, what, what, what the hell, what happened where they were a fan of this guy and you realized that he had been supportive of the cause or at least just treated them as human. Um, and my, my parents were taking a family trip to Turkey and I looked at the map and I was like, well, that's, that's a plane ride away from, I can at the very end tack on a bit, a bit by myself. Uh, and so it kind of, I had an instinct about it and just thought I should go. And, and also, I mean, on a, a more sober note, you know, you look at the map and it's like, how long are you going to be able to visit that place at the rate things are going now? Yeah. Idealistically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the world will change and it'll be better and there'll be a situation that's, I mean, good for everyone there, right? But, but you know, looking at recent history, that certainly uh, the West Bank is, well, Gaza right now is being, you know, leveled uh, mm-hmm. in what, what's a genocide or at least ethnic cleansing by, by some terms. And then in the West Bank, when you go there, you realize very quickly it's, like I said, you, you literally go through a walled off gate and it was, it was the holiday weekend, right, where um, I didn't, I, I had very little, um, it, it wasn't hard for me to get in. I, I had anticipated the whole process being a lot more laborious. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Rico had told me how like, you know, he got held over at the border. I think he had tried to come in from Jordan, you know, and he had spent like three or four hours getting interrogated. And I heard people that gave me advice both ways being like, if you want to go to the West bank, just be honest that you're doing it, but don't give them more information. Than, than you're supposed to. And then I had another guy being like, we tell our volunteers to lie. We just tell them mm. to just not, not say there. And I think both of, those, <laughs> both of those are probably true, depending on the circumstance. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, you know, probably didn't strike anyone as threatening. And, you know, generally the people in, in Israel were friendly to me enough too, and just mm-hmm. like, yep. But, um, but going into the West Bank on, on the 6th uh, was, was relatively easy. You just went down this really, really long concrete hallway through a turnstile and a really long other hallway. But it's like I say, uh, it's a cattle crossing. What do you call those things where it, it's like a long haul. It goes in two directions, so you can't yeah. like rush a gate, or you know, it's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, using yeah. the wrong word, but but it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a, it's like the security gates where they have like the Berlin Wall. And yes, stuff like it's that. it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a structure that is designed to be somewhat hostile, or you know, it's, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, right. It's, hostile architecture. It's hostile well. architecture, <laughs> just just absolutely. Yeah, and so and you come out on the other side, um, and it's it's very clearly like another neighborhood. It's very different. It was like Jerusalem's a, a beautiful city, um, mm-hmm. a very strange city. Like I'd say, it reminded me of like Comic Con meets Starship Troopers or something. Very, very <laughs> odd. Um, like in a beautiful, like a medieval city with you know people from all over the world going there, and you know, kind of a everyone's in an elaborate, different religious costume of sorts. And there's modern, you know, uh, pizza places and discotheques and uh, hostel with people from all over the world there. But um, but you go through the gate and you're very clearly where 
everyone else lives or, you know, the, and, and, and that was an interesting thing about the host family I stayed with. They were Palestinian Christians, Greek Orthodox, mm. right? And Bethlehem is like a tourist town. It's uh, the big, the big industry there is mission, uh, pilgrims, missionaries, people coming to see the birthplace of Christ, to see uh, manger square, to see eh, mostly, mostly tourist stops in that, in that milieu. But there isn't much of, uh, you know, an industry aside from, uh, I guess, olive, olive picking and olive wood carving. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of Palestinians in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas uh, depend on essentially a work permit. They, they get a passport where they get to go into Jerusalem or East Jerusalem through the gate every day. Uh, and they work a job, oftentimes like a minimum wage job that is much higher than the one they would have in Palestine or just a job, period. Yeah, yeah. And then they go home and take home that pay, uh, right? Um, and, and my host dad was a construction worker. He was, uh, using a passport where he got to go into Jerusalem and work on Christian churches. It was kind of an exception or some like, oh, we can get you a job working on your, you know, on your, on your holy structures or something like that. Um, and, uh, like the mom was a math teacher. She taught third grade math in, I think in Hebron. Uh, and so, but then they kind of scraped as a family where they clearly were renting out part of their house as a guest room and they had to, you know, uh, it, it was very clear there was a kind of a dependency on their life exists with permission of yeah. the Israeli government. You know, mm-hmm. you have, yeah, you yeah. have to have a hall pass to do everything yeah. essentially yeah. Uh, and there are different kinds. So, and as you yeah. said, like, you know, you mentioned that the ability to even visit this place, you know, does seem to be going away over the last yeah. uh, three decades. Um, in meaning that like, the the land area of a any kind of place that could be called yeah. an independent Palestine is rapidly diminishing, yeah. even within places like the West, within the West Bank, because it's being settled so heavily, and, and uh, you know, Palestinian people are being crammed into smaller and smaller, smaller places, tracts of, mm-hmm. like uh, right land on the side of highways and shit. Like, I, was that was that? very visible to you that, it, yeah the settlement factor yeah and so that's actually i can think of a couple stories that relate to that because in, in some ways my trip was very atypical in that i got stuck in bethlehem i i got up on the morning of october 7th and i had a big day planned we had like dinner with the family mm-hmm. i was staying there were some other um these college kids from the united states that were doing like uh christian colleges that were doing an arab studies program they're pretty cool younger younger guys um they went off to class and i went up to my room and was waiting for my my tour guide to call me and he was going to take me to hebron and stuff I'm sitting on the balcony, kind of looking around there, and oh wow, I finally did it! I'm away from my parents, and I actually, I, you know, I had an idea and I did it, and I'm there, and you know, kind of that exciting yeah. thing. And you kind of hear this loud, um, a boom, a pop, a big bang. You know, it's like a car backfiring sound, but very loud sure. across the hill, and it echoes. And I sit there for a second. I'm like, well, that's unusual, you know, or like, uh, sure. just don't yeah. assume, Carl, just because you are here. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, and then I look at my phone. And the guy's like, "I'm sorry, Carl. I cannot take you to Hebron today because of the news." I'm like, "What's the news?" I text, uh, and he was like, "This is this is bigger than anything since the '60s or '70s." I'm sorry, I can't. And I, I, I get this guy on the phone, and he's you know kind of having a day, obviously. Sure. Because he's he's everyone there was I think as surprised by it as anyone else. But he's like, "The roads are all closed to Hebron. I cannot take mm. you there. It's not good. I don't want to take your money because I can't really show you anything." And I'm like, "Well, like, you know, I don't have anything else going on today, but." But uh, yeah, he, he took me uh, around town and you see when you're in Bethlehem and then Beit Zahur and I think it's Beit Jala, it's kind of several towns that are all close together mm-hmm. in that under Palestinian control. 
almost anywhere you go in town, you look on the hillsides and there are these like dense new suburbs. But then you notice the suburbs have a wall around them and a military road and sometimes watchtowers. And it's it's these settlements that are aggressively built right on the hill above you. Um, and so you can see that pretty much everywhere you go. Um, and like on the second day, my, my tour guide took me to, we were driving by this road and you can look over like an overpass and there is specifically segregated highways in this country, right? There are mm. highways that go directly through hills rather than to settlements or, you know, where you don't, and they're, they're open to Israeli citizens, I think, and maybe cabs, but, um, they very much bypass and intersect and, and chop up the West bank into separate areas. Um, I'm trying to think of another, uh, another interesting like story is I got up one morning and I tried to take a shower the night before. Right. And it was like cold water and it was whatever. And I, being a, a shitty American or whatever. And I, and I talked to the guys and yeah. I'm like, Hey guys, any of you guys have a look in hot water this morning? And they all got this like sheepish look on their face. and like, Oh, we were told not to take showers here. I'm like, well, why not? They go, well, they said these, these guys only get water every 14 days. And it's, Whoa. and I ended up looking into it and I was going to be like, Oh, Whoa. okay, crap. And so I ended up finding out that, and this is the thing, I think people start to see this on the internet now mm-hmm. with, with everyone's crash course in this part of the world, but like Palestinians are forbidden to collect rainwater. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, their water is all brought in through Israeli private companies. It's expensive for them. And these like, and the reservoirs and all the natural water sources are pretty much gobbled up by, uh, the settlements, right? The settlements have running tap water like you or I do in Seattle. Uh, but the people are very much, you know, just all their resources um, are dependent on the whim of, of an occupying country. And so things like that, or I'm trying to think of another story that kind of was a surprising, surprising thing. Because you can read about something like an idea of an occupation. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, intellectually, I know what that is, or a colony or an apartheid yeah. state, or these things that, you know, you have, this is for like a white American who grew up in the, imperial core or whatever Mm -hmm. you have some idea of what that means but when you see it it is a little surreal because it takes you a minute to to believe it or to understand that your your senses are not just just what it is right um and that people have i guess the closest thing they can to normal lives underneath this but um but very quickly like say the day after after uh night of october 7th host dad uh comes home and he's like well that's the end of the work in jerusalem right like very quickly they they expelled the workers that were there Mm -hmm. some got detained um, but, but his, like, and I, I spoke to my host mom like last night and she was like, yeah, he's still out of work, you know? So, um, the tour guide I was with that day is like, you're, you're going to be the last tour I do this, <laughs> this year, yeah. almost uh, certainly. Yeah. And they were like, we got through COVID. I told myself this was going to be the year things came back, you know, yeah, yeah, they had, yeah. cause they had a very similar situation too, with like, you know, kids zooming into class. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, it was watching, like, there wasn't, that was the weird thing too, though. There wasn't like, there wasn't, I wasn't close to anything that I think was like seriously dangerous. You heard a couple of rockets, right? Cause it's, mm. you're just like in a suburb of Jerusalem, right? And there is, and I think some of them might've been aimed at some of the settlements around there. I don't know. It, mm. But you heard a couple, or you'd hear like this rolling thunder sound in the afternoon a couple of days. And then there would be like F-16s fly over helicopters on their way, I think south. Um, but for the most part, they were like, my tour, you know, tour guide says to me first, hey man, hey, are you, you're not scared, are you? It's okay. It's all right. You don't need to be scared. You're very safe here. Very safe here in Bethlehem. This is probably the safest place to be in the country right now. Uh, but, you know, if I were you, he looks me dead in the eye. He goes, I would get out of here sooner than later because it's going to get very bad. Oh, that was shit. his advice. And he just oh says this with this trade. I'm yeah, like, yeah. okay, yeah. Because I'm, you know, yeah, and I had, yeah. I had like, you know, five more days to go. So I was like, all right, well, should I? And, they, and they, the, the college guys I was with, their program pulled them out the next day. They basically were like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're opting to take you out of here. And, um, and so, I don't know. I guess the, the important details of it, because again, like, I was pretty, I think, I, like, I had a day where I just walked around Bethlehem and Beit Zahor, just walked up the hill. And um, 
I don't think it would be, I mean, maybe not, it shouldn't be a surprise, but people were generally, or no, they, they were, they were all very nice and welcoming. They asked mm. where you're from. You said the USA, they didn't care or they didn't, they didn't take that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but anyone, if you scratch the surface with any of them and just chatted for them a little bit, very quickly, they would tell you their grievances, uh, about what mm-hmm. it was like living under this yoke, uh, where like my tour guide would tell, he's like, you know, that settlement on the hill was the forest for my, used to be a forest where my grandpa would chop down our Christmas tree every year. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, my host mom would tell their, you know, Orthodox Greek Orthodox Christians like Arab, but you know, she goes every year, we like to go to Christmas services in, uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. But you don't just get to go. You have to apply. You, everyone fills out their paperwork and says, I would like to go to religious services and whatnot. And every year, she says, without fail, one member or two members of the family gets excluded. You know, your grandpa and cousin don't get to go this year. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you leave them home uh, or, you know, or don't go. Um, and so it was a lot of these very little, like not, I didn't see anything that was like out of a movie in terms of like uh, the mean guard beating up the guy or whatever. But you could sure. just see that there's the regular restrictions to movement, to personal effects, to, to things were just very, very felt there. Um, and, and everyone, everyone had a story like that. Um, one of my tour guides had a cousin that was in Gaza. I don't know how they are now, but he had that, the, the horror stories you hear about, like before, before, you know, being bombed, but or trying to get medical care in Gaza, you need a permit to leave. You have to get out in one ambulance. You have to transfer to another ambulance. Mm-hmm. And this is, not in a, a timely fashion, depending on how sick you are, you know? So it's just very normal things I think we would take for granted are, are not, not available. Even, even to Palestinians who are, I guess, relatively, I don't want to say freer in the West Bank, but, you know, not yeah. in a slightly... Well, cer- certainly not in a uh, clear prison. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. In the yeah. same way. You yeah. Know, they, yeah. They're, they're just occupied and not in a, yeah. a massive escape from L.A. city or escape from New York yeah. city. So... Um, but I, th- and I think, yeah, I mean, you know, th- this depiction of, uh, you know, life, uh, I, I think that people tend to have like cinematic views of other countries or places in crisis and yes. things like that. And forgetting that, you know, a big part of fascist violence and stuff like that is the bureaucratic day to day stuff, you yeah. know, like, Certainly there is lots of physical violence in Israel and, mm-hmm. you know, you could be beaten by IDF soldiers, guards, et cetera, right? You know, cops, mm-hmm. right? Um, or worse, right? Murdered by settlers. So yeah, that was, murdered uh, by settlers. But, but, like, most of the day-to-day violence, yeah. the day-to-day, you know, is the bureaucratic shit of being denied water, being mm-hmm. denied. And, and honestly, that's the stuff that actually probably kills more people. Yeah, having than, to wait for things that yeah. you need now. Um. Yeah, and that was, I guess, maybe the shocking thing about it. And part of the part of what kind of I think, kept me together, because, like, I don't know, I think I was, part of me was sort of excited, like, you, you got what you wanted, Carl. Like, like you hit the jackpot, <laughs> right? You wanted to see the condition. And because people were apologetic, like, I'm so sorry, it's a bad time of you. He's like, you came at the road, that's where you came this time of yeah. year, we come back later when it's better. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I mean, I got, I got to see something, right? I bought a sure. ticket, here's the show. I shouldn't, that sounds callous, but um, I definitely, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. this is a learning experience. Um there was a degree, though, that people were just remarkably ordinary. Like, there was a line at the gas station mm-hmm. on the 7th or 8th because people expected fuel to be scarce or cut off soon. Yeah. But other than that, you know, people, well, people were kind of doing normal things. There was, um, it was a ghost town, though, for a day, too, because there was a general strike. Um, yeah. And this is a common thing, apparently, in the West Bank when, when Gaza gets 
rocketed or anytime that's happened, generally the West Bank will shut down and assign a solidarity uh, in essentially a general strike. People, and just for the day, right? And then usually things resume. Do, do you know how that's usually organized? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it it, it kind of seemed, I, I don't know if it's a top-down thing or if it's just something that's observed when there are, you know, martyrs. That's yeah. the word they use yeah, for yeah. me. Because there is, like, I don't want to speak for the people I was around because in some respects they were very, let's say, apolitical. They didn't share... There was like maybe one guy that was sort of a fun bohemian for, that lived in New York or whatever that ran a cafe who was very open about politics and, you know, anti-colonial struggle and communism and stuff. But for the most part, people were, you know, they would tell you stories about, like I say, the inconveniences or stuff, but they weren't, they weren't espousing a party or, or some, mm-hmm. some sure. rhetorical line in that way. But, um, oh, what was I thinking of? They, I get the impression there is a certain amount of, um, I don't want to call it like black pilled, you know, the idea that like the, the Palestinian authority is sort of a, I mean, like there was a Palestinian police station in Bethlehem, mm-hmm. right? Where it's ostensibly it's under Palestinian control, but those cops largely have to cooperate with yeah. the Israeli military. Yeah, right. And even if you believe that they were on your side, there's an enormous metal gate that can open. It looks like, you know, something from Half-Life 2 mm. where the tanks come out or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and apparently that, that happens on a relatively regular basis, especially now where, you know, the Israeli military just goes into Beit Zahur, Bethlehem, especially into these areas that are what we're called like refugee camps, right? They're, yeah, they're yeah. kind of neighborhoods or like, not favelas, but they're these these areas that were, you know, uh, built up in the, after the 40s, after the, the first Nakba, mm. where people set up tents and were like, we'll just stay here for a minute until we can go home. Yeah, yeah. And then found out, like, mm, you might have to... You might have to be here a little longer, and they've essentially become these these neighborhoods in restricted areas. But um, yeah, like my my host mom's daughter apparently lived with her family, her husband, and uh, I think kids in one of them. And apparently, that's been a a scary place to be in the past month in the West Bank. Or you know, there's regular regular raids that go on. Yeah, uh, my host mom had specifically said, uh, you know, we just, you don't go out at night now or that kind of thing. So. Uh, well, I mean, being in a camp like that, you know, obviously marks you as a yes. victim, right? Or yep. a potential victim. And, uh, you know, I, it was to show people's kind of inability to process the situation there. I mean, it was fascinating seeing people when they bombed the refugee camp in Gaza, pointing out and going, oh, they said there's a refugee camp. But there's like buildings and stuff yeah. there. And it's, yeah. like, it's like, yeah, almost like the situation's been going on for a while. Yeah, and this was, this was a surprise <laughs> like, to me because when you, when you look at the tours, like... Um, when I was looking there, I had I had moved my tour a day earlier because I was like, oh, I should spend two nights in Jerusalem because it's a cool city. And I was like, no, Carl, what you really want to see is, you know, you want to see Palestine and Jerusalem will probably will always be there, you know, or I had, yeah, it, yeah, I had yeah. it, the thing you need to do. So I, I changed the days and I, I guess I'm lucky I did because I wouldn't have been mm-hmm. able to probably get in if I had been a day later. Um, but one of the one of the things you can see on tours to Bethlehem or you could was there's a few of these refugee camps. There's one called Ida which is right by yeah. the entrance. Um, Banksy, the artist, has a, a hostel mm. museum hotel, which is actually really good. The museum, I was the last, me and this guy from Japan were the last two guys in it, I think. They're like, <laughs> may you ever no, see this no, museum? Guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my, my, guy, my guy comes and he's like, hey, hey man, are you uh, you having fun? You're looking at the exhibits, this is good, but um, I just want to tell you, maybe maybe speed it up a little, because I think he's like, <laughs> <laughs> this is fascinating. He's like, no, no, don't, don't, don't worry, just uh, take your time, but just speed it up. Hey, check this out. And he pulls out his phone and he's showing me like vapor trails that they were recording outside. <laughs> like, isn't this wild? You know, and goes back and I said, okay, yeah, and I'm reading about, wow, is there's a... Uh, I didn't know that, uh, you know, uh, these beanbag guns were sold all over the world that are tested here, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so, but anyway, yeah, the, the camps are, are interesting because you can go see Ida Camp. 
but that's right by the wall, and it's apparently one of the most tear gas locations in the world because anytime there's mm-hmm. any sort of unrest or whatever, kids throw rocks at it, the towers, and then they tear gas the hell out of it or shoot rubber bullets. Um, and I, I had wanted to see that, but my rule of thumb for safety was like, if one person told me not to do something, I would ask another person. And if they told me not to do something, I would definitely yeah. not do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was yeah, kind of like, yeah. I wanted to, you know, I wanted Pretty to make the most. Rule of thumb. And yeah, I, yeah. I'd asked, um, like my first guy and he's like, I, I shouldn't take you to Ida today. He's like, it's fine now, but that's going to be a yeah, place yeah. that, so, um, and I asked other people, and they're like, "Yeah, maybe, maybe don't go there." Yeah. Um, so, a, a pretty serious environment, maybe worth listening to. And that was, and that was it. Where it's like, <laughs> the locals say it, and I know, like, I think my host mom was a little less. Like, oh, my daughter lives there; it's fine. But I mean, that was a sort of like not wanting to admit. Anyway, but enough people told me no. But it turns out there's other refugee camps, and so I was like, "Is there any way I could see one of these?" Because it's sort of a an important part of this. And um, my host family was able to get a cousin to take me to one of them, and he he knew a guy that actually had a dance school for kids there, right? Mm-hmm. This, this guy um, who ran, it was like a traditional Palestinian, some sort of pan-Arab dance that was common with like Syria and a couple other places. But they, they go around the world in kind of a good goodwill thing. But um, it's in it's in Dehesha camp, which is near Jerusalem, uh, near near Bethlehem. Um, and, and, you know, they take you around and it is like a neighborhood, but it's these extremely tight streets where they've had to build up, you know, in the past, what, 70 years or something. And it's not it's not like tense, but there's a giant United Nations building next to it. Um, UNRWA, I think is the relief. Yeah, and a lot of, apparently a lot of Palestinians work there or it's, it's a big mm-hmm. part of providing this population with things like garbage collection or services or health. Um, and so it is a very, like, it's not, it's not a refugee camp and maybe what we think of, but it's, it's not, it's a circumstance that was supposed to be temporary that is now had yeah, to become, yeah. and it still isn't, it hasn't you know, found a, a resting point. And, and you see where, um, and it was the day of the strike, so no one was doing anything. But you go around that camp and, the, you know, there's there's like murals and things. Everywhere you went, there were murals, um, lots of photos, of, or a lot of murals or art about uh, Sharina Blue-Aklef, for instance, the, the journalist that was uh, killed a year ago mm-hmm. by the Israelis, like snipers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of other martyrs, um, kind of cool political cartoon stuff. But, uh, you know, there's there's a, a palpable sense of injury there and a knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and a motif of, another interesting motif of the key like they have in front of the United Nations uh, building this turnstile, an old, like, I think 1950s turnstile gate that's just been left there. But it was the old entrance to the camp where people had to go in and out when there used to be a fence around it, right? Um, and inside are hanging all these keys. And a lot of the refugee camps have statues or sculptures or keys hanging on things. And it's it's a, a reference to the when during the Nakba people locked up their houses and were like, we'll be back on maybe six months from now. Yeah, yeah. And... It never happened, yeah. but they kept the keys in the family as sort of a symbol of this. So it's it's an angle that you just don't see a lot in United States media, from what I can tell, or understanding what the history of that displacement means to mm-hmm. people there. It's it's very palpably felt everywhere. So yeah, the, yeah. the key image is very powerful, like how mundane and and sort of uh, disorienting the idea of like leaving your house in an emergency one day, thinking like you're going to be back on Monday, you know, and not yeah, having yeah. it. I think. I think what, like, a lot of the uh, dum-dums who were like, oh, this is a neighborhood, why does CNA, CNN keep calling it a refugee camp or missing, is that such-and-such such refugee camp is the name of the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's basically it's become called. a neighborhood. That's yeah. what the yeah. town is called. Yeah, yeah it looks like a, a big, uh, you know, sloppily built, uh, like, 50-year-old small town. Because and it, but it's called the that's the name of the town. That's yeah. the name of the neighborhood. Yep. Which 
should tell you something about what the situation yeah. is going on. Yeah. yeah, if you're there for a you know a while, eventually, you know, it's not just going to be tense. It's going to be yeah, you have buildings and. Yeah, when I think the situation of Palestine, I mean, it's it's very heightened and things like that. But there are comparisons you can draw that, that are things that, like, Americans should understand, which is, like, you know, if you go out to a reservation, yes. it's like, yeah, there's, like, houses and shit there. What, do you think they were going to fucking live in like army tents, tents like, surplus yeah. tents for the next 200 years or whatever, yeah. right? Like, it's like, there's houses and stuff there, but that doesn't mean they wanted to live there. It's still a reservation. Right. Yeah, like, they had this house there because they're trapped. Yeah. Like, you know, what are you supposed to do, you know, at some point? Well, in America, we had the good sense to call them reservations, which has, uh, like, it's, we've reserved this for you. It's even more yeah. confusing to people. Like, Your neighborhood, sir. Yeah, hey, look, it's hard to get reservations. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> Dude, my, my resi numbers, it's hard. That was that was something I thought of because I grew up in, in the Black Hills of South Dakota, mm -hmm. which was, you know, originally land that native populations lived on, either having been pushed there from the east or... Yeah. Plains Indians that were there to begin with. And Rapid City is like essentially next to the home state gold mine, a TV show Deadwood, where the land mm -hmm. was promised to the natives and the moment something useful was found there, uh, the law started to change, right? And so you, it was odd thinking about, you know, that's been maybe what, 150 years? I'm foggy on yeah. the history, but watching, seeing what that might have looked like in real time someplace, because you, you had this. When I, when I signed up for the trip, there was these, like, things you could do. Like, oh, go to see the glass blowing factory in Hebron and see how olive oil soap is made. Um, and one of the things in Jerusalem is the olive trees. Like, go, go pick olives with the locals. I said, won't that be fun? We get some hacky sacks and, you know, mm -hmm. go, go, go do this. Well, it turns out I was a week too early and it wouldn't have mattered anyway because there's, <laughs> there's no yeah. tourists picking olives this year. Um, but I end up finding out one of the reasons they do this is you go out with a Palestinian farmer and get to pick olive trees. A lot of times these olive groves are built up near the edges of settlements. And mm -hmm. maybe you've had this olive grove in your family for you know, 50, 70 years. But those last two rows, like, now are close to an armed military fence where maybe the military will shoot you. Maybe settlers yeah. will harass or lynch you, yeah, right? Yeah. And when you have, you know, Swiss uh, pilgrims with you <laughs> doing yeah, yeah. it or something, <laughs> yeah. they don't do that. And so finding out there was actually kind of a political angle to that. Mm -hmm. because a lot of this land does become disputed. Someone might build a fence. You know, you think about stupid urban politics in, in Seattle yeah. with like, your fence is too close. Like, well, yeah, yeah it's yeah, annoying yeah. here, but imagine that the police force and the military would always take one side in that case mm -hmm. or go back to like Ottoman law to make it so, oh, you, you lose your, you know, yeah. uh, well, you haven't yeah. tended this space behind a fence in more than five years, so it's ours now, you know, that yeah. kind of. Um, <laughs> but you see how that dispossession works in a slow-moving um yeah. Uh, slow, a slower moving act, but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about that in uh, Indy the Myth when we talked about the you know role of sundown towns in America and mm -hmm. things like that. Of like, there used to be this greater racial distribution in the United States, you know, throughout the country yeah. that was then limited by the fact that people just stole people's fucking houses. And mm -hmm. you know, what what allows you to do that other than the state? You know, the the full power of the state is on your side. You yeah. can do what yeah. you want. The state and, kind of leads that effort. And yeah. it's really interesting because it sounds like, you know, within the settlements, I think just like myths of America, we're talking about ending the myth, you know, um, I think there's like a lot of myths about what like a settler actually is um, yeah. and like what settlements actually are and what it requires to maintain them. It sounds like instead of just like people just setting up shop and like, you know, maybe coexisting or maybe like, you know, uh, being just like segregated it seems mm -hmm. like it sounds like you're describing there it was visibly enforced by like a barrel of a gun a lot yeah of the time. no and that's and apparently that's a one of the 
I'm not an expert, but my understanding is like one of the internal Israeli arguments within within liberal society of Israel is this issue that huge amounts of military resources are devoted to policing these settlements in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that in, in one version of the narrative, well, they were all just out to lunch on Gaza because they thought they could remote control that, but they need large amounts of military presence and militias and private security. That was the other thing too, where it is, it's like everything else. It's, it's another mm-hmm. shitty neoliberal world everywhere. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's private companies that do this, but um, it requires resources. If you have these people living side by side with people who you've either freshly or uh, at least in the past 70 years, just dispossessed them. It, it's not a, a, a stable or normative way to live. Right. And if you want that, enforced you need like i say all these 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 suburbs basically it'd be like imagining and these things are as close to each other as like magnolia is to ballard or something this is just very yeah, yeah. very close mm. like you look across the hill and you can see it and then you look closely and there's that the fence and the and the ditch road and maybe like a little outpost or something um and so yeah it is it is a level of within within that society there's the question of like i, I imagine there's Israelis that realize it's a dumb idea right but mm. but that's that's the political project right now in terms of, and especially with, I think Netanyahu, his whole pitch was like, "Hey, you don't need to worry about. We're going to settle the West Bank. We can remote control Gaza. Uh, keep coming here, you know. Keep keep doing that." Because one of my tour guides made kind of a, I mean, he was he was sort of practical about. It. He's like, you know, imagine if you're like, say, a Jewish person living in Ukraine or Russia, and you're like, "This, this sucks. I'm getting the hell out of here." Well, I can always go to Israel. And you get to Israel, and very quickly you discover it's like, well, Tel Aviv and. Jerusalem are these extremely expensive cities. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, what do I do here? And they go, well, we got a great deal for you. <laughs> Just yeah. go to this, go to this, go to this, uh, you know. Doing westward expansion. Yeah, yeah. Go out yeah. to this suburb. You'll be with other yeah. other folks, you know, new new members of the project. We got running water. Look at this, you know. Um, <laughs> just one one small issue. <laughs> Your neighbors hate you, but. <laughs> you have you know to what? be armed. You can. And that, that was a weird thing, in, in, in even in Jerusalem. Like when I called it Starship Troopers World, it was like you went around on the street and everyone's, you know, there's tourists and there's different sects of Judaism, Muslims, some, uh, Christians, like guys dressed these in Franciscan monk outfits, you know, just all sorts of stuff. But then you'd have like, I assume like late teenage kids, right. And they're, they're all of camo gear with a backpack and an armored iPad chewing their gum and like going on it. And then they have like, you know, it's some sort of bullpup rifle over their shoulder and they're just, you know, high school kids in the IDF or whatever doing their thing. And then you also had cops who were like older or whatever, but were also heavily armed. But then I saw like at one point, this guy who looked like, you know, a Bushwick hipster with his toddler (laughs) hanging, you know, on the shoulder and he's on his, everyone's on their phone. Right. But he has like also a bullpup rifle strung over his shoulder on his polo shirt. And just like, and he didn't, it, you know, you think of that like Texas or something in the United States, yeah, right? Yeah. the right wing. But this guy had sort of, a, you know, his vibe was much more just mundane, but like that, mm-hmm. that sense of. He's the guy that Jacob Wool will describe in like the hipster coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. yeah based yeah. based armed guy or something. I don't know. Hip- yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I think we, you know, we, we talked about, uh, you know, Israel-Palestine uh, in the media aftermath, uh, you know, October 7th or whatever on the, on the show. You know, one of the things we talked about is this, yeah, this sort of myth of the settler and yeah. this image that was portrayed to people in the United States of like, oh, these were just regular people hanging out, you know, at Applebee's or whatever. <laughs> and then a bunch of guys like, you know, uh, just doing like comical, like shouting Alu Akbar or something showed up and just started bombing them or something. But, yeah. but the thing is, is that like in an occupation like that, you know, even the regular population becomes something that isn't quite civilian, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, they, because yeah. they have to be mm-hmm. because they are themselves, you know, uh, having to maintain this 
you know, population of essentially like slave labor slash prisoners yeah. slash whatever. And you get these comical scenes like, you know, maybe we got in like Rhodesia, right? And people mm-hmm, on the golf course mm-hmm. with their fucking yep. M16s, right? Yeah. Or you would get in apartheid South Africa or, you know, in the much more critical histories about the history of America and the gun, the idea that like, oh, gun ownership in America was originally like everybody had to have guns in the colonies, like mm-hmm. by law, because it was to put down Indian uprisings. uprisings and, and, yeah, and, you know, and it's like that's what you have to do when you are eradicating a population. Yeah, yeah. People, yeah. And, yeah. Like when the set, if you were as a settler, you're getting that pitch. Part of that pitch is go and take this house from mm-hmm. a Palestinian person. Yeah. yeah, go and I mean, this is the the, the real hardcore ones, you know, or like yeah, go and. Uh, while these people are out at a funeral, go in with mattresses yep. and, uh, you know, say, yeah. hey, we're sleeping here now. And so now the Israeli state will now protect this as ours because we're squatting. We're on citizens it, and, and you're not. We're yeah. citizens mm-hmm. Well, there was Israel, the, the and, video of the guy who was like, you know, I don't the take seller. it. Someone else will. Yeah. That, yeah. That and people were saw. like, can you believe that guy? And it's like, but what do you think this kind of society creates? Right. Or who is going to who's going to yeah. move here and actively want to participate in this project? Like, yeah, you know, I'm sure probably plenty of those Israelis like say our age is born into it right that happens but but there's also like we, if, you're, if you're expanding that mm-hmm. and you need to continue to bring people in to these settlements to to cut off and swiss cheese the west bank you're going to attract believers in a certain a certain worldview right in a yeah. way and and if your political coalition you know relies more and more on that if they if they have more kids and you know vote more that's that's kind of the yeah it's it's the nature of the project at this point, yeah. from what I can tell. Well, and I mean that's why a lot of, uh, you know, critical thinkers, uh, intellectuals, and you know, uh, activists say that apartheid is expensive, right? Like, yeah, uh, the expense really comes from trying to maintain these settlements, right? Whether it's like mm-hmm. military force, um, you know, the law, the, bureauc- the bureaucracy of it all, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, and it becomes more and more expensive as, um, you know, tensions get higher, or you need to like recruit more or it's harder to recruit because it's ultimately like you know it depends on uh you know numbers a lot of the time too right and getting more people in which you know was a crisis uh and the safety valve is you know the west bank and the leveling Mm -hmm. and seizing Mm -hmm. of gaza yep you know well i mean it's why people like uh rabin and even ariel sharon who is certainly no fucking dove we're trying to put the brakes on settlements right Mm -hmm. and it had nothing to do with their love of palestinians of which they had none it was, you know, the cost. A long-term you know? unsustainable project, yeah. Yeah, they would mm-hmm. look at the cost, the security costs, and I think that you hit that kind of unmovable contradiction that countries like that have, you know, South Africa, yeah. Rhodesia, the United States, quite <laughs> frankly, mm-hmm. um, which is at some point your wealth extraction requires this continued and ever-increasing squeezing of yeah. this population. And even though you see that it's sort of this death drive, you can't really stop it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, Netanyahu in a sense, and just, I mean, like Likud generally mm-hmm. just like represents this, you know, yeah. like the death drive in full bloom, just that, like, you know, everything, you know, just the gas pedal all the way down. Yeah. Guys. Which is like, why you have to buy into basically a death cult in order to truly be a part of, you know, what's yeah. happening in mm-hmm. Israel and, you know, modern day. Yeah. Even, this even point. if you are, you know, in theory, like you say, like a, Liberal refugee right. who maybe has isn't moving there because you're so committed to the Zionist project, but because it's an option for you, and you 
the option is go live in the settlements. Even if you didn't start out, it's a necessity of your life yeah. and the milieu yeah. you're yeah. put into yeah. is this is this is where we're at. This it's is existential. Mm, you're right? a settler. Like, yeah. And it this is, a, you know, we have this good deal here going, but it takes, you know, it means being a part of dispossessing these people from their land. That's how you get the house you're living in, uh, whether like in front of your eyes or some a few years earlier right the, you know be, whether the house the palestinian home that was there was leveled a decade before or whether you're literally like sitting in their furniture like you have to be a part of that and it's what it's you know what uh it's the entire culture that you're put into and the mm-hmm. responsibilities like put on you by your community I, I would imagine i think so i get that impression that like i say i i i don't i didn't spend a ton of time in in israel proper uh, or, or I didn't go to a settlement, right? You can see them everywhere. Um, but it, it does seem like, I, I know there's the schism too within the country where there's like religious, religious, I think it's Orthodox or something that don't serve in the military, but have to be protected by the military in the settlements, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, a, a grievance within, like I say, inter-Israeli yeah, yeah. politics. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it, a little yeah. bit of tension there. Yeah, yeah. no, but it, it seems like a project, like you say, the contradictions of it are very pronounced, but there's not a mechanism for stopping mm-hmm. them. Uh, not Not within... I mean, certainly not with, I guess, you know, the the situation it is and, and the United States' involvement. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a degree to which we sort of uh, don't, don't, don't help it. We, we don't, mm-hmm. in, don't incentivize them to act as equals <laughs> to, you yeah, know, yeah. their neighbors. Like, don't worry, we'll always take your side in a fight. That's not a way to, you know, raise two happy children. You know, if, if we do take, if we were to take this as a, a fight between two equal sides, which it isn't, mm-hmm. right, it's not, it's not healthy to have one that always gets, you know, yeah, uh, the, the 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 world's only superpower. Just yeah, blank check. You know, whatever you whatever you need. Yeah. Um, it. Well, it certainly is self serving for the United States to have this essentially Spartan society yeah. created in Israel. I mean, like we want we want them to be our mobile strike force in the mm-hmm. Middle East. So if they have to ha- constantly have a standing army, if they have to like yeah. live a life where life is cheap, right? That's not the worst if thing. We want to start a nuclear war, but. Not say that we started it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe, that option's always on the table. Maybe you want to distribute a nuclear weapon to a country that's a little embarrassing to just hand it to, like South Africa mm-hmm. or Pakistan or yeah. something like that. You know, it's yeah, nice to have a channel. yeah, it's nice to have a pass through that doesn't care about any of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff because they is, gave up on respect. A exactly long time what ago. happened, even like yeah. in Chile, right? Like yeah. you know, in a lot of other countries that actually you know, yeah. Israel was used as a proxy by mm-hmm. the United States in a lot of ways, even when their official stance was to be hands off or even be a to certain regimes like Israel would stand in and, you know, America would launder a lot of um, guns, money, um, etc. Yeah. You know, to it's, it's a very great strategic asset for, for the U.S. Mm-hmm. in yeah. a lot of ways. Well, I think it was Joe Biden in the 80s who said if Israel didn't exist, we'd have to invent Mental. it. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And, you know, he was right as far as like <laughs> the sh- state, yeah. as far as the State Department of the U.S. is concerned. I mean, that's, that's it's very true. You know, um, it does uh, solidify America's um, you know, imperial standing in the world a yeah. lot of the ways because, you know, part of another thing is, you know, the oil in the Middle East. Right? Yeah, it, isn't it, isn't it uh, convenient that uh, <laughs> the only only democracy in the Middle East with a big asterisk by it is, is right next to yeah. all the places we get petroleum, from, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I think me and Vidya, we, we were joking. We talked a little bit about South Africa on the show. And we we're like, you know, the funny thing about Rhodesia is the U.S. did just drop them like a bad habit. Yeah. And we're like, fuck yeah. it, deal with it yourself. Yeah. Guys. And Cold turkey. Whole, yeah, and the whole thing fell apart. And then we're like, 
I wonder if we overlaid a map of like mineral deposits and like yeah. Southern Africa, yeah. and we can figure out a reason why the U.S. <laughs> stuck with South Africa yeah. to the bitter end, but yeah. let Rhodesia just uh-huh. drop to the floor, like you know, it was yeah. nothing. Yeah, and it was really telling that there's contradictions instantly blew up in his face when the U.S. Uh, dropped Rhodesia, you yeah. know, and and the U.K. Uh, by proxy dropped Rhodesia. And I mean, does anybody believe that Israel sustainable without a larger outside partner to just dump weapons, provide international support? You know. Well, I don't think stuff, even is. You know? I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Carl, but I don't think even Israelis believe that. Like when I when I listen to when I listen to at least the you know the government like Netanyahu talk, right? Like it seems very clear that you know people are on the same page that America is an essential ally for this project to continue, and that's why yeah. I think uh, Trump is the most. Uh, you know, support, like, has the most support out of any, like, citizens in Israel, except for, like, you know, even in America, I don't think you can find, like, um, you know, demographic support as high as it is yeah, in they, Israel. Yeah, they love him, man. He's the, he's, he's the real president of, or, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah the people's president. I know. mean, honestly, if it, if it ever looked even remotely like Donald Trump might go to jail, like, his lawyers <laughs> are not getting, they're not earning the zero dollars he's ultimately going to pay them if uh, they're not telling him, like, Maybe go to Israel. Yeah, maybe, maybe run yeah. for office yeah. in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, extra, they don't yeah. extradite. Like, they got, uh, yeah. uh, like a special exception. Well, we, it seems like yeah, we're definitely on to the Israel portion of the discussion. You've you've told us about like what life in the West Bank is like for Palestinians. Um, you know, and you mentioned this a little like before you go to the West Bank, before you go to like meet like Palestinians living their lives. You got to go through Israel. You do, yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe tell us a little, like, to start off, just, like, what's it like even trying, even going to Israel? What's it like landing in Tel Aviv? Like, what are your impressions of that place? You know, it sounds maybe, maybe odd to say, but it, it's like, um, like, for me, it wasn't bad, you know? Uh, it's a modern airport. You know, you come in and everyone on the plane claps when you land. That's kind of an odd little weird thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, we're here, you know. Is it like other passengers yeah, clapping? Yeah, the passengers, when they land, everyone, everyone claps oh, on the plane. Oh, okay, this, on this the is, plane, This is yeah. the thing that people do in the U.S. sometimes. Okay, I've yeah, and it's like, I mean, the pilot did a good job, but, you know, I mean, it's the first time I, I, I don't know. They, they, did they also, flight. like, they do mostly land the planes. They mostly do, right? Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know if that's unique to flying into, into Tel Aviv. So, there's, yeah, there's one, and this is a thing kind of interesting. Like, there's, there's one airport. I think one one civilian airport. I think in the country in 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 Israel and Palestine or whatever, right? And that is that is Tel Aviv Ben Gurion Airport. Mm-hmm. Um, Palestinians do not get to use that. They have to cross the border, which we'll come into the story later, uh, into Jordan and fly mm-hmm. out of the Amman airport. Mm-hmm. They don't get to use their own airport or not their own, but it's you know it's it's yeah. it's for Israelis I, and and tourists I, like myself. I mean, also um, since the Israelis don't recognize the Palestinians as really having a state or anything. I mean, it yeah. is technically the airport in the geographic the borders yeah. they live on. <laughs> yeah, when it's convenient to call it a country or convenient to call it, yeah. it's a separate, th- right? It's yeah. kind of weird. It has to be both. But um, So yeah, the, I mean, it's it's a beautiful, tightly organized airport. There's a, you know, there's a gorgeous mural of the history of Israel on the wall and it is it is like, you know, when you look at a Diego Rivera uh, mm-hmm. painting, you, you want to be Mexican. Sure, yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah. It has that, like, yeah, I get it. You know, it, it's it's um, orderly, nice. Uh, staff is all friendly. You know, good. You know, ask a question. How do I? How do we do this? And you know, the tickets are over there. You, you get your money changed, and you get your uh, get your your rail pass. And then you ride like a bullet. Very easy. You know, how in Seattle you have to walk a really long line to the light rail. No, nope, yeah. light rail's right there, and it's a high speed bullet train. You know, and it's, <laughs> it comes on a regular basis. So in that respect, it's a very 
you know, it, it, mm. for in in the in the core, so it, it was it building was a nice. station next to where the people are. Interesting. What <laughs> building a station? Yeah, next no, it's to where it's in are. a sense uh, that uh, when some other country is funding our military, we will be able to afford that. We'll be able to get that light rail one hundred <laughs> yards closer. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, so in that respect, it was very easy to buy a ticket to that and everything. And it was it was the holiday weekend too. So you rode home on the train. There's all these like school kids on their on their iPhone playing, you know, Crystal Bopple or whatever. Yeah. Uh, playing playing some games and stuff. Um, people like a couple of IDF kids, school kids, just folks folks going home on this train across the desert at night. Um, and, you know, I'd expected it to be, like I said, I'd heard stories about, you know, they're getting interrogated. The guy's like, you know, what's the purpose of your trip? And I'm like, I'm on vacation. It's like, where are you going? I go, um, you know, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Hebron, Ramallah. I, I, I you know, yeah. I had, I originally had planned to go to Hebron for a day, Ramallah, and then leave through Tel Aviv, fly out again. Yeah. Right, which changed. Um, he's like, looked at it, looked at the fast. Yep, there you go. And I'm like, okay, well, that's all. And then, then went over to customs, and there's I mean, there's metal detectors everywhere, right? And I was like, I have some, I have some Ottoman spice from Turkey. Do I need to declare that? And the guy's like, mm, mm, points at something, and I realized he was just, you know, just no, no, go through the door. You're done. You don't need to. We don't. We don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think mm. it might have been also it was like the holiday weekend too, where people were people just want to get home, you know, sure, uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I was you know, Jerusalem's a modern, a modern kind of almost a Europeanish city, right? Like I say, mm-hmm. aside from having like Texas like conceal and carry, yeah, yeah. rules, um, <laughs> it's it's identifiable. So to like it. not a lot of conceal on that. Not room, a lot of conceal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's open open carry. Excuse me. Yeah, very openly carry. Um, you know, and there's like it, it it reminds me of if you've ever been to like you know a lot of European cities like Southern Europe or something Mediterranean mm-hmm. a little bit, um, but but. Uh, you know, pretty easy to ride the buses and light rails around. I stayed at a hostel. The, the gal at the desk was like, oh, I was also a Bernie Sanders uh, campaign worker. She was, I think, an American or something oh, was working like... at the hostel. I was like, oh, yeah, I was, I was a campaign. So it was kind of a fun little, I like your sticker. And I was like, yeah, that's oh. nice. Um, and there was, you know, uh, it was like a normal, like a hostel if you ever stayed in one, pretty good. Um, sure. Lots of not, uh, friendly cats. You know, it was uh, a touristy city. You know, you have a lot of... Um, Kind of these gift shops that'll sell T-shirts playing both ways. Where it'll be like a shirt googling Israel. Did you mean Palestine on the shirt? You know, like that. Sure, sure, I think sure. also oh, like sure, sure. you know uh, Pikachu. Um, Pikachu mm-hmm. with a sure. yeah. time. Um, I don't know. Don't worry, America. Israel's got your back with a picture of an X sixteen. Israel's right behind you. <laughs> but it was these stores that kind of did bo- play both. It's like a tourist sure. thing, right? There's there's an Alabama store in Jerusalem, yeah. but and a, you know, beautiful medieval city with you know, here's where Jesus was displayed by Pontius Pilate and. Here's a bunch of old, you know, Crusader uh, banks or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. right? Um, so it's it's interesting in that respect. Uh, but I guess seeing that side of it, you could see, you know, a pretty touristable place uh, in that way. I don't know. Looking back, if it's, I mean, I, I it's kind of the, the most convenient way to get there. You know, Rico had told mm. me you could try to cross the Jordan border if you really don't want to give any money to the airport, but. It gets it gets a little harder that way, right? <laughs> that, that I don't think that you're going to personally starve the Israeli government of money. No, so. and that's, and that's it. Like you're making a principle stand, right? Exactly. Yeah, you, it's, you it's, be, it's principles. Yeah. yeah, and so so, but other than that, it was a you know I would have you could spend you could spend an entire week in Jerusalem and probably not run out of stuff to do or see. You know, sure, it's interesting yeah. in that respect. But it, I mean, but I guess in that sense, it is what makes the other side so galling mm-hmm. is when you realize that there is you know what we think of as an organized urban cosmopolitan city but directly neath all the hired help is kept behind a wall yeah, in the yeah. next suburb over. And a very recent wall is like yeah. in 2001 or two, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that way, and then and, and like, yeah, a bit more checkpoints. And, and I, I didn't get to see 
I know there's 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 parts where you you have different limited amounts of entry or things like I think it's the what's the not the Dome of the Rock or whatever. Um, not the Dome of the Rock. Uh, not the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount or like those areas. Like uh, sometimes there was like streets that were closed off on certain days due to for worship or like it was you know Muslim worshippers were allowed in but not the general public. or maybe it was just because I was in, sh- in shorts. No one wears shorts. Uh, don't don't do that. Right, that's, that's trashy American crap. No one anywhere in the Middle East wears shorts. Um, but. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It was, it, it was, I guess, in a sense, uh, I'd say a relatable society to a sure. Western white person. Mm. There was, there was cool, mm. like, European-looking comic art on the subway. There was, like, you know, these, like, graphic novel panels on these displays. Well, that's neat, you know? And, and so, yeah. so in that way, it is, it is very familiar, in a sense. Mm. But um, I don't know. Maybe that's the thing, American. As an American, you, you kind of have to unscrew a little part of your brain to think about the other side of that or how... For the elect, you know, a society like this, and in our own, frankly, in many ways, like mm. there's an elect, and then there are people who are restrained or outside of it that don't enjoy the same privileges yeah. and freedoms you do. And, and 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 being a tourist is also, you know, the paradox of being able to move more freely through that country as an outsider than people who live there, or being able to leave. Being and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Actually, yeah. you know, that's that'd be very yeah, very very good point because when it came time to go, there was sort of a weird because I had figured like, oh, I'm not, I probably can't get back into. Uh, into Tel Aviv, right? The gate shut, and it was it was very ambiguous. Where like there isn't a nice app to check to figure out if the you know, the gate is open today or not. It's it's yeah, like, yeah. go yeah. there and wait, right? Um, and I didn't want to hang around the airport in Tel Aviv with you know panicked people or you know like the rocket, sure. rockets don't kill that many people really. No, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get killed by the rockets. So you get killed by the panic. Trample, oh, yeah, trample. And, just, yeah. And, and, and that's what my guy was like, you, Yeah, he was like, yeah. you could get thrown into a bomb shelter there and be stuck and like lose your, you yeah. know. And he was just like, that's not a place you want to be. So I, I changed my ticket to get out of Jordan, basically mm-hmm. go to Amman. Um, but that was even kind of a trick because my my host mom knew a guy. I think it was a friend of her father's. It was a cabbie, and he was able to drive partway up up to the border. But then I had to switch off into a cab that had, I don't know if it was Israeli plates or cab plates, but he couldn't go through the border. He could take me there. And there were a bunch of, we didn't stop. You could see a bunch of impromptu like checkpoints that had been set up on the roads uh, on the way out. And so that was like, that was probably the most stressful part of the trip was getting out or, you know, figuring out if that was going to be possible. Right. Um, and it, it, it sure enough worked okay, but no. Uh, but, but yeah, getting that idea that, you know, I can peace out when things get hard. Like the guy said, you should leave sooner than later, but I did. And, you know, um, that's not a, you know, something that the locals, uh, yeah. can or necessarily want to do. Was right? an option like, that he home. had. Yeah. 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 Where like you leave something alone, unnailed down, you might get taken from mm-hmm. you and then be, uh, you know, it's your home, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And so. Well, there has to be something like slightly otherworldly about these interactions you're having with people where they're saying, like, it's going to get really bad here. You should leave all this. These are almost casual nature yes. with which they understand. Yes. Uh, something that, you know, you probably, <laughs> you would hope wouldn't be so regular that you could be so casual. Yeah, about, no, and that right? was it. That was it. The, the degree to which everyone around was not visibly nervous or upset by it, but they were just matter-of-factly telling me this uh, in a straight tone of voice. And I remember I, my host mom did say something interesting. She was like, well, you know, this is, she would always say when I, she would tell you a story and I'd be like, that's fucked up. I wouldn't say the <laughs> F word, but you'd be like, that's fucked up. And she'd be like, that is our situation. You know, it's kind yeah. of her, mm-hmm. her going, and she, and she said at one point, she's like, I, I am, she had like, um, an older daughter and like two younger daughters and a son who was like 16 teenager. And she's like, you know, I'm their mother. They look to me. I have to be, you know, you know, yeah, some, some yeah. effect of like, you keep some composure. And it, and so that was, that was the weird thing where like what the family did, the dad was home from work now indefinitely. Um, 
mom had to have a student teacher meeting with the, the headmasters and the staff of the school on Zoom, figure out, are we going to have classes on Monday in person right. or online like we did in COVID? Her son's in the next room not studying for his test because he thinks he's going to have Monday off. And so she's like, Yosef, Yosef! And, like, <laughs> to study. and she was just like, she was not pissed at him. She was like, you need, uh, to, you need to study for this. This is, this is real. And then, and then when she was arranging to get me out of the country, like calling these cabs and stuff for me, she was like, I have to go in the next room and, you know, teach a class for 40 minutes. But I'll come back, you know, if you need anything. Or, you know, it was very, she had a job to do. And, you know, she go in the next yeah. room and you hear her yelling on a Zoom meeting at a bunch of kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. having this like teaching math in, in Arabic. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, What's well, the juxtaposition of the sort of normal yeah. and mundane with the horrifying? Yeah, you know. Yeah, we're, and they they clearly knew the situation was going to get worse for them in some abstract way, or at the time because that was the thing. It was still they had started to bomb Gaza. Israel had started started bombing, but it was still that kind of like everyone was sort of. I, I don't I don't want to put words because like in people's mouths, but I think there was a sort of, and I, and I don't know how seriously say the the, the Christian enclave I was in was. Of like what they felt about say Hamas or different parties or whatnot, but there was this knowledge that this was the biggest anyone's run up the score before before uh, retaliation, yep. and they knew it's like this number is going to be nuts, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's going to be whatever happens, the you know like you, you know you're going to get in trouble. This yeah, yeah. is going to be really bad, um, and there was that that knowledge that that was coming. But but people, you know, like you say, there's sort of well, you still have to teach math class and and. Uh, you know, you still hang out with your family or friends or have company over. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it was, there was a very shockingly ordinariness to the people there in terms of just, I mean, things like, you know, I mean, it's not shocking that they were generous or friendly or anything that, that makes sense, but just the way that said, this is our situation it was sort of, it was kind of a understanding it was unfair, but, but having developed a, a mental uh, fortitude to that over time was something mm-hmm. something people had. So, or, or people being like, you know, they thought they had made plans, but they I think they're used to having plans change. You know, the guys like I, I worked in a souvenir shop for uh, last few years. This year, I was going to be a tour guide. This was my my move up in life. You know, where where people I think ha- in like a town like that have to have a little bit of a hustle to what they're doing or multiple sources mm-hmm. of income or things. And he's like, he's like, this is and he's, yeah, this is going to be the last tour I do. Was his you know um, yeah yeah his mm-hmm. attitude. So. So yeah. Um. It, so before October seventh, you know, as you're getting into the country, um, did you have a chance to talk to any Israelis? Uh, and get you know, again, before really things um turned into the current crisis, you know, like did you get a did you get to did you meet any uh, you know, and talk to any Israelis and get their sense? Not a ton. Of anything? No, and I kind of wish, I, I wish I had, you know, it would have been nice to have spent some more time and talk to it. Like, it was people in the hostel who, frankly, were a lot of, like, one of the desk gals, I think, was just an American. I don't think, uh, you I know. I think traditionally hostel workers aren't, like, from the country. No, no, yeah. Know? And the, I think one of the guys might have been, I think he was Israeli, like, one of the guys that was running it might have been a younger Israeli guy. It struck me, I've, I've heard, like, you know. A lot of Israelis are American. They are, right. <laughs> no, I'm just, I mean, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy, um, I mean, had the accent. I don't know how to put it, you know. Um. But, you know, you hear, like, I think it's uh, after you do your two years of service, sometimes you take a year off or something. It's a common yeah, thing. Yeah. And yeah. Working in hostels is one of those jobs you can do. Well, uh, when you're in Israel, I mean, I, I think that it's also worth asking, did you meet any uh, Israeli radical centrists? Anybody that was uh, fiscally conservative, <laughs> uh, uh, socially liberal? Yeah. I, you know, looking back, yeah. Like I say, I, unfortunately, I don't think I... Most of my interactions were just <laughs> with staff of of the hostel yeah, who were Americans. Yeah. I know, and like that was the one gal who I think was American working there was. She was the one that told me it was like, well, if you go to the West Bank, just be truthful. And she kind of had this weird like, 
clammed up a little bit. Like, if you go, yeah. you should be truthful. Kind of a sad tone of voice. But uh, it's best to, you know, like, oh, dear, uh, this sort of yeah, yeah. implying I don't know if she'd had experiences doing that or not. But well, um, I mean, you know what that reminds me of is very much going across the U.S.-Mexico border. You know, it's you know, yeah. not as serious a situation as in, uh, you know, uh, Palestine. But the capriciousness of a militarized border is part of it. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. the idea that you don't know what they're going to do. Like, sure. maybe they do just wave you through or maybe they do something terrible. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's the not knowing actually as part of the control. Right. right? And Being, uh, anytime they can change their mind about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that you're that, that you're fully at their mercy. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I jokingly told you guys a story that was, you know, like mildly horrifying in retrospect about getting uh, pulled over at a border stop outside Del Rio in a car with a bunch of kids. You know, we're 20, 21 ish. And the Border Patrol agent searching our trunk, which when they ask you that, of course, you don't have a choice. So they search our trunk. And there was a girl in the car with us and watching through the mirror to that crack in the, uh, you know, when the trunk's open, you can kind of see uh-huh. watching him essentially pull her underwear out of her bag and look at uh, it all, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, right? Like being in that I can do it that position can. of vulnerability, yeah. mm-hmm. right? With somebody who, yeah, can do serious damage to you. And, uh, and certainly in Palestine, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you know... Mm-hmm. Like it's that on steroids, yep. you and, know. And at this moment, yeah, yeah, far beyond that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like they could do anything they want to you, and you know mm-hmm. that. You know. Is there anything else, Carl, that you want the freaks to know about the Palestinian people? Yeah, yeah. What would? Well, are you still in touch with? I'm still your in touch. Family? You know, maybe I could read a thing. I don't know. I had one. My host mom sent me a note. Yeah, a couple days ago, and it's sort of, you know, the English is. Pretty close, I think. But I think you get the gist of it. It's um, like my understanding is that Bethlehem has elected to cancel Christmas services this year. It's it's you know Jesus' hometown, so every year it's a big deal. You get out a tree in Major mm-hmm. Square, and it's a uh, very proud of very proud of their their most famous uh, hometown boy, right? Um, they'd cancel it, and she wrote me a thing a couple like a week or two ago. Um, she had written, and it's it's sad, but I mean, and this is the West Bank, where again I was nowhere near Gaza. That's uh, uh, altogether a, a much, much worse situation, but still just the general general vibe of it. Um, but she wrote, and I don't know, I thought it was kind of uh, nice and sad, but it, she says, Hello, Carl. How are you? I would like to share with you some words. Yesterday, I was driving around the city. I was very sad. At this time of year, Bethlehem was bustling with activity, tourism, and preparations for Christmas and start decorating the streets and shops to welcome Christmas, a holiday of joy and hope. Uh, and then she says, Nothing is empty. The streets and shops... Even the children who were waiting for the Eid, I think it's like the holiday, forgot the Eid. A sad feeling that almost suffocates everyone here. The country of joy, there is no place for joy. Instead of decorating the city with trees and lights, it is decorated with the injured and martyrs. Oh my God, oh my God, have mercy on us. Oh Lord, grant peace to the country of peace. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know what you say to that. It's a yeah. fucking bummer. Yeah. I don't think you have to say anything yeah. to that. I mean, yeah. that's... Uh... That says it all. They've, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's what life is like now, even mm-hmm. on the West Bank. Even for, you know, Christmas is fucking canceled. You know, uh, yeah. To, you know, and that's uh, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, Christmas that's is Palestinian canceled. Christians uh, are feeling that. You know, I mean, yeah. I can imagine you. what uh, uh, Gazans, you know, are going through. Yeah. And, and uh, so I guess I would, yeah, I would just add, I don't know, yeah, uh, free Palestine <laughs> from the river to the sea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for coming on and sharing all that with us, Carl. Uh, it's nice to have you over for pumpkin pie on the boat. And uh, I know all of our listeners uh, 
will benefit from hearing those stories. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. Mm-hmm.